Chapter 3, Part 2 of The Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book 2, by William Blackstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roy Haynes of Incorporeal Hereditaments. Part 2. 3. We observe that tithes are due to the parson of common right, unless by special exemption. Let us therefore see, thirdly, who may be exempted from the payment of tithes and how. Lands and their occupiers may be exempted or discharged from the payment of tithes, either in part or totally, first by a real composition, or secondly, by custom or prescription. First, a real composition is when an agreement is made between the owner of the lands and the parson or vicar, with the consent of the ordinary and the patron, that such lands shall for the future be discharged from payment of tithes by reason of some land or other real recompense given to the parson in lieu and satisfaction thereof. This was permitted by law because it was supposed that the clergy would be no losers by such composition. Since the consent of the ordinary, whose duty it is to take care of the church in general, and of the patron, whose interest it is to protect that particular church, were both made necessary to render the composition effectual. And hence, have arisen all such compositions as exist at this day by force of the common law. But experience showing that even this caution was ineffectual, and the possessions of the church being, by this and other means, every day diminished, the disabling statute 13 Elizabeth C. 10 was made, which prevents, among other spiritual persons, all parsons and vicars from making any conveyances of the estates of their churches other than for three lives or twenty-one years, so that now, by virtue of this statute, no real composition made since 13 Elizabeth is good for any longer term than three lives or twenty-one years, though made by consent of the patron and the ordinary which has indeed effectually demolished this kind of traffic. Such compositions being now rarely heard of unless by authority of Parliament. Secondly, a discharge by custom or prescription is where time out of mind such persons or such lands have been either partially or totally discharged from the payment of tithes and this immemorial usage is binding upon all parties as it is in its nature an evidence of universal consent and acquiescence and with reason supposes a real composition to have been formally made this custom or prescription is either de modo dicimande or de non dicimando a modus dicimandi commonly called by the simple name of modus only, is where there is by custom a particular manner of tithing allowed, different from the general law of taking tithes in kind, which are the actual tenth part 
of the annual increase. This is sometimes a pecuniary compensation as two pence an acre for the tithe of land. Sometimes it is a compensation in work and labor as that the parson shall have only the twelfth cock of hay and not the tenth in consideration of the owner's making it for him. Sometimes, in lieu of a large quantity of crude or imperfect tithe, the parson shall have a less quantity when arrived to a greater maturity as a couple of fowls in lieu of tithe eggs, and the like. Any means, in short, whereby the general law of tithing is altered and a new method of taking them is introduced is called a modus dicimandi, or a special manner of tithing. To make a good and sufficient modus, the following rules must be observed. 1. It must be certain and invariable, for a payment of different sums will prove it to be no modus, that is, no original real composition because that must have been one and the same from its first original to the present time. 2. The thing given, in lieu of tithes, must be beneficial to the parson and not for the emolument of third persons only. Thus, a modus to repair the church in lieu of tithes is not good because that is an advantage to the parish only. But to repair the chancel is a good modus for that is an advantage to the parson. 3. It must be something different from the thing compounded for. One load of hay, in lieu of all tithe hay, is no good modus. For no parson would, bona fide, make a composition to receive less than his due in the same species of tithe. And therefore, the law will not suppose it possible for such composition to have existed. 4. One cannot be discharged from payment of one species of tithe by paying a modus for another. Thus, a modus of 1d for every milk cow will discharge the tithe of milch kine, but not of barren cattle, for tithe is, of common right, due for both, and therefore a modus for one shall never be a discharge for the other. 5. The recompense must be in its nature as durable as the tithes discharged by it, that is, an inheritance certain, and therefore a modus that every inhabitant of a house shall pay 4d a year in lieu of the owner's tithes is no good modus for possibly the house may not be inhabited, and then the recompense will be lost. 6. The modus must not be too large, which in law is called a rank modus, as if the real value of the tithes be 60 pounds per annum, and a modus is suggested of 40 pounds, this modus will not be good, though one of 40 shillings might have been valid. For in these cases of prescriptive or customary moduses, the law supposes an original real composition to have been regularly made, which being lost by length of time, the immemorial usage is admitted as evidence to show that it once did exist, and that from thence such usage was derived. Now, time of memory, hath been long ago ascertained by the law 
to commence from the reign of Richard I, and any custom may be destroyed by evidence of its non-existence in any part of the long period from his days to the present. Wherefore, as this real composition is supposed to have been an equitable contract, or the full value of the tithes at the time of making it, if the modus is set up so rank and large that beyond dispute exceeds the value of the tithes in the time of Richard I, this modus is belo de se and destroys itself. Or, as it would be destroyed by any direct evidence to prove its non-existence at any time since that era, so also it is destroyed by carrying in itself this internal evidence of a much later original. A prescription de non dicimando is a claim to be entirely discharged of tithes and to pay no compensation in lieu of them. Thus the king, by his prerogative, is discharged from all tithes. So a vicar shall pay no tithes to the rector, nor the rector to the vicar, for ecclesia decimos non salvit ecclesia. But these privileges are personal both to the king and the clergy, for their tenant or lessee shall pay tithes of the same land, though in their own occupation it is not tithable. And, generally speaking, it is an established rule that in lay hands, modus de non dicimando non valet. But spiritual persons or corporations as monasteries, abbots, bishops, and the like, were always capable of having their lands totally discharged of tithes by various ways, as 1. by real composition, 2. by the Pope's bull of exemption, 3. by unity of possession, as when the rectory of a parish and lands in the same parish both belong to a religious house, those lands were discharged of tithes by this unity of possession. 4. by prescription, having never been liable to tithes, by being always in spiritual hands. 5. By virtue of their order, as the Knights Templars, Cistercians, and others whose lands were privileged by the Pope with a discharge of tithes. Though, upon the dissolution of abbeys by Henry VIII, most of these exemptions from tithes would have fallen with them, and the lands become tithable again had they not been supported and upheld by the statute 31 Henry VIII C13, which enacts that all persons who should come to the possession of the lands of an abbey then dissolved should hold them free and discharged of tithes in as large and ample a manner as the abbeys themselves formerly held them. And from this original have sprung all the lands which, being in lay hands, do at present claim to be tithe-free. For if a man can show his lands to have been such abbey lands, and also immemorially discharged of tithes by any of the means before mentioned, this is now a good prescription de non dicimando. But he must show both these requisites, for abbey lands without a special ground of discharge are not discharged of course neither will any prescription 
de non decimando avail in total discharge of tithes unless it relates to such abbey lands. Common or right of common appears from its very definition to be an incorporeal hereditament, being a profit which a man has in the land of another, as to feed his beasts, to catch fish, to dig turf, to cut wood or the like. And hence, common is chiefly of four sorts, common of pasture, of piscary, of turbery, and of estovers. 1. Common of pasture is a right of feeding one's beasts on another's land. For in those waste grounds, which are usually called commons, the property of the soil is generally in the lord of the manor. As in common fields, it is in the particular tenants. This kind of common is either appendant, appurtenant, because of vicinage, or engrossed. Common appendant is a right belonging to the owners or occupiers of arable land to put commonable beasts upon the Lord's waste and upon the land of other persons within the same manner. Commonal beasts are either beasts of the plow or such as manure the ground. This is a matter of most universal right, and it was originally permitted not only for the encouragement of agriculture, but for the necessity of the thing. For when lords of manors granted out parcels of land to tenants for services either done or to be done, these tenants could not plow or manure the land without beasts. These beasts could not be sustained without pasture, and pasture could not be had but in the lord's wastes and on the unenclosed fallow grounds of themselves and the other tenants. The law, therefore, annexed this right of common as inseparably incident to the grant of the lands. And this was the original of common appendant, which obtains in Sweden and the other northern kingdoms much in the same manner as in England. Common appurtenant is where the owner of land has a right to put in other beasts besides such as are generally commonable, as hogs, goats, and the like, which neither plow nor manure the ground. This, not arising from the necessity of the thing, like common appendant, is therefore not of common right, but can only be claimed by immemorial usage and prescription, which the law esteems sufficient proof of a special grant or agreement for this purpose. Common because of vicinage or neighborhood is where the inhabitants of two townships, which lie contiguous to each other, have usually intercommoned with one another, the beasts of the one straying mutually into the other's fields without any molestation from either. This is indeed only a permissive right, intended to excuse what in strictness is a trespass in both, and to prevent a multiplicity of suits. And therefore, either township may enclose and bar out the other, though they have intercommoned time out of mind. Neither hath any person of one town a right to put his beasts originally into the other's common. But if they escape and stray thither of themselves, the law winks at the trespass. Common and gross 
or at large is such as is neither a pendant nor a pertinent to land, but is annexed to a man's person, being granted to him and his heirs by deed, or it may be claimed by prescriptive right, as by parsons of a church or the like corporation sold. This is a separate inheritance, entirely distinct from any landed property, and may be vested in one who has not a foot of ground in the manor. All these species of pasturable common may be, and usually are limited, as to number and time. But there are also commons without stint, and which last all year. By the statute of Merton, however, and other subsequent statutes, the lord of a manor may enclose so much of the waste as he pleases for tillage or wood ground, provided he leaves common sufficient for such as are entitled thereto. This enclosure, when justifiable, is called, in law, approving, an ancient expression signifying the same as improving. The Lord hath the sole interest in the soil, but the interest of the Lord and commoner in the common are looked upon in law as mutual. They may both bring actions for damage done, either against strangers or each other, the Lord for the public injury, and each commoner for his private damage. 2, 3. Common of Piscary is a liberty of fishing in another man's waters, as common of Turbury is a liberty of digging turf upon another's ground. There is also a common of digging for coals, minerals, stones, and the like. All these bear a resemblance to common of pasture in many respects, though in one point they go much farther. Common of pasture, being only a right of feeding on the herbage and vesture of the soil, which renews annually, but common of turbury and the rest are a right of carrying away the very soil itself. 4. Common of Estovers, from Estoffer to Furnish, is a liberty of taking necessary wood for the use or furniture of a house or farm from off another's estate. The Saxon word boat is of the same signification with the French Estovers, and therefore houseboat is a sufficient allowance of wood to repair or to burn in the house which latter is sometimes called fireboat. Plowboat and cartboat are wood to be employed in making and repairing all instruments of husbandry. And hayboat or hedgeboat is wood for repairing of hays, hedges, or fences. These boats or estovers must be reasonable ones, and such any tenant or lessee may take off the land let or demise to him without waiting for any leave, assignment, or appointment of the lessor, unless he be restrained by special covenant to the contrary. These several species of commons do all originally result from the same necessity as common pasture, viz., for the maintenance and carrying on of husbandry, common of piscary being given for the sustenance of the tenant's family, common of turbury and fireboat for his fuel, and houseboat, plowboat, cartboat, and hedgeboat for repairing his house, his instruments of tillage, and the necessary fences of his grounds.
End of chapter 3, part 2.